WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital? Doctors? Health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and in this episode, we're talking about the effect that substance use disorders have on families. It's been said that substance use disorders are more dangerous for family members than they are for the person struggling with the disease. We'll explore that and much more with the help of our guest. Darren Weber is an addiction treatment specialist at Geisinger's Marworth facility in Lackawanna County. He helps to provide support and education to people struggling with substance use disorders. Darren Weber, thanks so much for joining us on the Mind Over Matter podcast. Thanks for having me, Tracy. I'm happy to be here. So let's start with stigma because there is so much of it surrounding substance use disorders. Why is that? And what do you hear from your patients about their experiences with it? Yeah, so stigma, uh, a lot of times in my experience, what I've found comes from a lack of awareness, a lack of acceptance, but mostly a lack of education. Um, Even though substance use disorder has been around for so many years, decades, uh, centuries even, we're still learning so much. And when we don't have the full knowledge or experience or education on these things, we tend to um, go based off of the limited knowledge that we have and maybe even personal bias and experience that we've had. And a lot of times then we can start with uh, shaming and and blaming and kind of providing a lot of guilt to those individuals and family systems who are struggling with addiction. And from patients, what I've heard is that stigma is one of the main reasons that feeds into their denial their denial of having a substance use disorder or their denial of accepting the help that you know we we want to provide them Uh, because for so many years they felt that this is their choice that it's not a disease that um, it's their fault that that they're in the position that they're in so that stigma has really fed into a lot of shame and guilt in their lives Uh, Very quickly, Darren, I'd like you to address that idea of disease versus choice, because there is the perception among some people Mm -hmm. that substance use, even when it rises to a disorder, is a choice rather than a disease. How do you respond to that? I can totally understand that perspective. But what we've come to find over the last uh, several decades is that while it's still debatable, substance use disorder is a disease, and it's categorized by several uh, things that qualify or certify or classify something as a disease, and that's that it's primary, it's incurable, it's terminal, uh, there's, a la- there's a loss of control, and it's progressive, so it just gets worse uh, over time if left untreated. And when we think of substance use disorders, we don't immediately think of the effect that they have on family members. I watched a recent TED Talk by Samantha Fowler, whose brother had a substance use disorder. And she said that in her experience, addiction is more dangerous for the family than for the person with the disorder. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? 
Sure, definitely. So substance use disorder, you know, we look at it and we think, okay, it's it's just the individual who's going through this. But what we found is that, you know, no, no person is an island. You know, we are surrounded by people on a daily basis, especially in our household. So while this individual is struggling with substance use disorder and all the complications that come with that, it's impacting the family as well, whether that be one other person or several other people. And what we found is there's a, a thing called a positive correlation. And what that means is that as the individual substance use disorder worsens, so do the negative mental health uh, effects of the family members. So what happens is, you know, we start off with symptoms and behavior and attitudes and emotions such as denial, isolation, preoccupation, while the individual struggling with substance use disorder is um, in their own individual ways, so too is the family. So as they're in denial about what it is that's happening in their lives and the effects that these substances are having on them, the family's in denial. They don't want to see that they that they may have played a part in this, that um, everything that this one individual is going through is impacting them. It's kind of like a, you know, it's their problem, not my problem sort of sort of thing. And what happens too is that this individual is struggling, their symptoms, their illness is getting worse. And then you have that spillover effect into the family. So while the family is, you know, at first maybe trying to help that individual, they start to crumble themselves. It's a thing called general systems theory, especially with family. And that's that every system seeks balance. And when something comes in and throws that system off balance, then it's a lot harder to get back to that that state of balance. So when this individual starts becoming impacted by substance use disorder, so does the family. And as the individual worsens, the family worsens. Not only now do you have one person being affected, but now you have one, two, three, four, or five other individuals who are affected as well. So now there's six people in this situation that you have to help get back on the same even kilo. And more often than not, what we've seen is that it's just long-term dysfunction. And uh, it may have started at one point, but now it's spilled over into several other points. So it's a lot harder to bring that balance back into the picture. And clinicians say that there are a number of roles that family members can adopt to cope with their loved one's substance use, like being the caretaker or the comedian or the scapegoat. Can you talk about some of those roles and what they might look like? Absolutely. So this is actually a lecture that we give uh, families and individuals at Marworth. So yeah, as you mentioned, there are several roles that the family plays in. Going back to that balance of general systems theory, this family in general wants balance. So in order to with everything that's going on, they take on certain roles. These might have been roles that they taught that, that they were taught in their family of origin and that have helped them maintain some sort of balance throughout their lives in different situations. Now they're going to take on these roles as the family systems impacted by addiction. So as you mentioned, there's the scapegoat and this individual more often than not is probably the addict or alcoholic within the family. Um, There's a lot of acting out in terms of conflict, any sort of time that something comes up in the family, this is the person that they're looking to as the primary of this conflict. And all of these roles in some form, even though it's mostly dysfunctional, do provide relief for the system. So for example, the scapegoat, it provides distraction from all of the other conflict that can be going on. If we're able to take all this conflict and pinpoint it to one person, then none of the, none of, uh, the rest of us don't have that responsibility anymore. The mascot is another person who is always deflecting through humor. Anytime there's 
conflict or a crisis that happens. This is the person who's quick with a joke, quick with a line to provide that relief, to alleviate the tension. But more often than not, this individual ends up struggling with a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. Um, A lot of these roles actually underlying feelings involve either fear, anger, confusion, or loneliness. And that's because the individuals are taking on these roles for the balance of the system, to survive in the system while denying who they actually are. So while they may not really be a mascot, in order to help bring that balance, in order to help things, uh, the attention to alleviate, they're going to become this person that they're not to, to make that balance. And then they start to realize, wait a minute, I'm not being my true self. I've had to take on this role for the system. Now I'm not liking who I am and what's going on. And there's even more dysfunction. You can see how that could create more mental health issues within the family. In fact, I can picture maybe a sibling who sort of disappears, right? Because they don't want to burden their parents because the parents have devoted so much attention to the one who's struggling. Or maybe another sibling sort of fades away because they don't want to be an added burden, if you will. Correct. So that's uh, that's another role in and of itself that we would call the lost child. Um, This is the person who says, okay, there's all this craziness going on around me in order to maintain balance, in order to not add more to it. Let me remove myself from the situation. And again, providing relief for the family. Now the family can focus on the other roles and the other crisis. And this person they know is is off doing their own thing. They don't really know what's happening, but they know that they're not uh, that they're taken care of, that they're okay. But at the same time, that person is dealing with so much, the, the isolation, um, the anxiety, the depression of, of being on their own and having to figure things out and not having that connection that they have with the family. And then, of course, there are children who grow up with a parent who has a substance use disorder. I mean, what are the mental health risks, short term and long term, for them? Absolutely. So um, it's interesting. We look at kids and we think, well, they're so young, you know, maybe they don't really know what's going on. Maybe things will be okay. But what we're seeing is that younger and younger children are becoming aware of addiction and how, um, you know, certain substances can impact them and impact their family. For example, we do provide a lecture at Marworth as well about uh, the impacts on children. And we talk about how, you know, we ask, we ask to get some perspective and we say, when, when was the first time that you had your first experience with a party? You first had, um, you know, knowledge of, of alcohol or, or drugs in your life. And mostly the ages are about 12, 13, but some of them are as, are as young as, you know, four or five, six. You know, when you're growing up in that family system where alcoholism is very dominant, um, not necessarily ex- accepted, but it's, you know, people socially drink, things like that. You're experiencing all these substances around you. You know, there's there's all those the, the kids who, you know, are going and during the family party are getting a, a beer for for mom and dad. And they have, you know, maybe a relative that's like, yeah, try a sip. They're being exposed at such a young age. There was an individual who actually shared a story about he had a daughter who was four years old. And while she didn't know really what was happening, she knew that when daddy has this blue can in his hand, she doesn't like that daddy. Um, so it has such a negative impact at such a young age. And what can happen is there's those roles that we mentioned that family members can take on and can carry on outside of the family system. Those are That's one of the long-term effects. Another long-term effect is that there is a genetic component 
to addiction. So when you're growing up, um, you're kind of predisposed to some of those things genetically, but then also socially, if you're seeing it happen around you in order to cope with that, you know, all that resentment, all of that confusion, more often than not, there is a lot of children who do go on to um, pick up an addiction of their own. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast, and we're talking about substance use disorders and their effect on the family. Much more when we come back right after this. WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Kylie Oleski from Geislinger. At some point, more than half of us have struggled with a mental health disorder. Misconceptions about mental illness have led people to have negative attitudes toward people with mental health concerns. As a result, many of us have been reluctant to tell people when we're struggling or to seek help from a mental health provider. Needing help is not a sign of weakness, and getting better is not just a matter of thinking positive. Without support or professional help, symptoms often get worse. The more we talk about mental health and admit our own struggles, the better we'll do overcoming stigma. Remember, you are not alone. For more, visit wvia.org forward slash mindovermatter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast, and our guest is Darren Weber. He's an addiction treatment specialist at Geisinger's Marworth facility. And Darren, when we left off, you were talking about the potential of children to develop their own substance use disorders if they grew up with a parent who has one. I'm interested in talking about that a little bit and what the odds are of another family member, a sibling or a child perhaps, developing their own substance use disorder. Oh, I can't really provide statistics. Um, I'm not a statistics guy anyway, but I do know that it's very it's very common. A lot of times when we do intake assessments and we try to get we collect um, individuals' backgrounds on you know when they're fo- first exposed to substances and addiction. Um, more often than not, it did start at some point in their life, whether it was the the social circle of friends that they had or more dominantly, the family system that they that they grew up in. Um, if I had to provide a, a number, I would say, you know, talk to five individuals about probably three out of five of those did grow up in a family system with uh, addiction or some sort of mental health um, disorder. Yeah, I mean, it can happen to anyone in any family, right? Whether you're rich or you're poor, no matter how stable or unstable, it is not a respecter of persons, as it were. No, not at all. I mean, there are so many factors that play into addiction. Um, there's financial, environmental, social, family, um, genetic, you know, those what we call the biopsychosocial. So the biological factors, the psychological factors, and the social factors, it does not it does not discriminate whatsoever. It doesn't matter where you came from, who you grew up with, um, what kind of life you lived prior to. It can happen to anyone. I mean, typically, going back to the stigma, we look at substance use disorder and the individuals who struggle with it. The the first image that we have in our mind is is you know the homeless individual with the little brown bag and the liquor bottle hidden in the bag, and that's not the case more often than not. I mean, I've met so many people there, people with addiction who struggle with addiction. You know, they're they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're um, licensed 
law enforcement professionals. They're, they're your everyday citizens and individuals who, through no choice of their own, have ended up in this situation that has impacted themselves and impacted their families. Darren, I'm curious, have you seen an increase in substance use disorder since the COVID pandemic started? Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, we're dealing with an increase in, you know, the opioid crisis. We're still dealing with a lot of that. But I would definitely say I've, I've heard more, uh, a lot more individuals sharing their stories about how they struggled with drinking or using um, for, for a while. But come 2020, when that pandemic happened, when the world shut down and everybody was forced to isolate on their own, that's really when a lot of individuals um you know, their their use escalated. Yes. And that treatment when it comes to substance use disorders can be expensive and complicated. I mean, what do family members need to know about how and when to get a loved one into treatment? So how the, the great thing is that there's a lot of resources and help available. It's just that sometimes we don't talk about them as often as we could. You know, you have your your inpatient facilities, treatment centers, which is where I work. I work in the inpatient setting, but you also have outpatient. You also have community outreach resources. You have, um, you know, the the 12-step recovery programs, things like that. And a lot of times there have been studies done that, yes, it could be very expensive. It could be very costly. It could be very time-consuming, but there are resources, especially those local, um, you know, recovery meetings, 12-step meetings that are cutting down on the cost of, of health care. You know, that that social support is really uh, impactful in treatment. And so is, you know, just the education and the awareness. So going on going on the internet and, and using it for, for educational purposes, picking up a, a book or, or some literature on the subject can, you know, be the, the start of the process and a very helpful one. And at what point, Darren, are there signs that family members need to begin to look mm-hmm. outward? In other words, at what point do you make that decision that this is something that we cannot handle as a family? Yeah, so a lot of times, um, like I said, with that disease concept, is it's identified by a loss of control. So when you really start to see that unmanageability in your life, you know, finances are a good indicator, but also just the emotional, mental, and social tension within the family that this thing has taken so much control that you know we start to notice we start to notice those symptoms or those those symptoms those roles um the conflict that has happened when we're talking more about the substance at hand rather than the individuals in the room there's there's a good indicator that something's something's got to be done there what about treatment for family members because as we've been saying They're going through a whole lot themselves. There are all sorts of impacts on parents, on siblings, on children. So what about treatment for the family members who are just trying to cope with the volatility in their lives that this disease has introduced? Absolutely. So there's naturally, you know, family couples counseling, which is very helpful uh, with these sorts of presenting concerns. There is literature and there's also local uh, meetings for families too. you know, things like Al-Anon and Ar-Anon that if people are are open up to them, that help give that support, give that education and give that connection that, you know, your your loved one is receiving, whether they're in treatment or or going to to local 12-step recovery meetings. Um, There's also, we, we, we do provide lectures we used to provide open open meetings too um and every sunday we'd have family day services where 
the lectures that and the education that we we're giving to the patients in our care, we were giving to the family members. Um, so things like that are available. You know, there's there is resources, there is the ability to to get that help, and it's very important to take the time to work on yourself. You know, whether your family member is an outpatient or inpatient, they're taking time to to work on themselves and to get better. And, you know, kind of distancing themselves, focusing on these solutions, take the time for yourself as well. Take the time to figure out what's going on, how you're doing, taking care of yourself. More often than not, you know, when individuals are are brought to treatment, we ask the family, how are you doing? And they always want to tell us immediately about the person that they just dropped off. And it's like, no, I, I want to know how you're doing, because this obviously has impacted you. And we tend to lose sight of that when we're so focused on the other individual. One of the points that Samantha Fowler made in that TED Talk that I mentioned a while ago was about anonymity versus vulnerability. And she said that we tend to want to cover up substance use disorders or disorders of that type. We've got Alcoholics Anonymous. We've got Gamblers Anonymous. We've got Overeaters Anonymous. And she suggested that maybe it's time to move away from anonymity and toward vulnerability and honesty in the struggles that we have. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so vulnerability is a big thing that um, that a lot of people struggle with, especially in treatment, is just getting in touch with, you know, being honest about what's happening in their lives and the impact that all of this has has had on them. Um, in terms of the the anonymity, it's it's difficult because that's another thing that's been very much debated for a long period of time. Um, you know, at, at one point in time, it's like yes, be vulnerable, talk about these things, you know be empowered by this, seek the help that you deserve. But at the same time, with that stigma that we talked about originally, it's still, despite all of these years of progress, still very dominant in the lives of society and these individuals. So it's difficult sometimes for them to be open about, hey, I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict and I'm getting help for these things because they still have those social consequences. You know, people in in workplaces, can discriminate, uh, educational settings can discriminate. Like I said, there's so many, so much resource, so much awareness, so much acceptance, and yet we still have quite a long ways to go. So for the, the time being, it's still been uh, preferred to kind of remain on that anonymous level, um, although that can impact the vulnerability. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult. One more thing, Darren, and that is um, there are people who are listening who have loved ones who are struggling with substance use disorders. What is the biggest single thing that you would want them to take away from this conversation? It's not your fault. Um, it's not the fault of of the individual either. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that we, we try to get out there with this education is that there's been so much guilt, so much shame, so much blame up to this point that we don't want to do that. We're not here to blame you or, or guilt you or feel or give you more shame than you're already giving yourself. There is help out there. There is education. There is awareness. There is acceptance. If you're able to be vulnerable, if you're able to to go out and get it, you know we are we are here to help you and we do care about you. And it's it's time to care about yourselves as well and to get that to get that help that that you deserve. Darren Weber is an addiction treatment specialist at Geisinger's Marworth facility in Lackawanna County. Darren, thanks for making time to be with us. 
Thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure and a wonderful opportunity. I'm Tracy Matisak, and you're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information on this and other mental health topics, check out our website at wvia.org slash mindovermatter. Thanks for listening. See you next time. WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital? Doctors? Health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital. It's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. 